All right. Should we get into it? All right. Are we back? We're back. All right. You need to do a better job of moderating than I did last time. I I, I made zero call to actions the whole time. Oh, we're supposed to. Beginning at the end. Yes. Hello to everybody watching live on YouTube. Wow. Uh, we, uh, I think most of you are still listening to this on Spotify or iTunes. According to the data. According to the data. Nick has all of the data. So um, please check out the YouTube. Give us a little uh, give us a little follow there. Maybe check out the live. We, we're, we've been doing this at 4.30 or so Pacific on Wednesdays. If you want to take part, uh, say hello in the chat. Talk to us. Uh, but yeah, this is the uh, the life portion of the of the broadcast. Uh, Nick, what are we going to... What are we going to talk about yeah, so today? La- last week, we interviewed Kevin Kelly. Um, he has a new book coming out. Um, and he's most known for being a kind of futurist. And he's been an author. He's written se- several books. I think one of the most popular was What Technology Wants. Um, he's written for the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. Um, he- he's written everywhere. He was a co-founder and founding editor of Wired Magazine. And just an all-around cool guy. Like uh, a lot of wisdom with with Kevin Kelly, but also um, wisdom paired with like a, a very unique perspective on how to view the world going forward and how to, um, you know, see how technology is going inter- to interweave with, with our lives. And so I kind of wanted to start off just talking about what were some of your, you know, kind of takeaways from, from the interview. Um, and, and Eric, after, after that, I'd love to hear like what, you I know. want to hear Eric's feedback first. Oh, you, you want, want to hear, hear Eric? No, I want to. I want him to just. He he wanted to just. Oh, oh yeah, he, he teased us. What yeah, did he, he fuck wanted up? to. No, I, I think you guys did great. I, I'm actually trying to pull up, um, because we got an advanced copy of his book. But I, I I had I'm trying to pull that up right now because I, I had I had read, uh, something from him before, which is like his hundred rules. I don't know. Uh, is that close to what his book is? Sure. Because I didn't I didn't get a chance to read his the advanced copy, but um. He had like a hundred rules for um, improving your life. And some of them were like very simplistic, you know, it didn't have to get like really, really advanced. But like um, one that stuck with me was um, if you have tangled cords, oh, Jesus. if you have tangled cords, start by just pulling them uh, out, lo- loosely pulling <laughs> them out. And, and I'll be honest, I started, I, I, I implemented that in my own life. So I wait, still wait. Is is this a, is this a metaphor or no no no? This is like this is literal literal. <laughs> well, under Stephen's chair, there's about 17 cords. Hey, are... don't tell them that. I okay. try to put it outside okay. the camera shot. Well, okay. So like for... our cord management is not top tier yet. These guys know, but I don't think the audience always knows. But like, I listen to a podcast to go to bed every night, and the way that like the mechanism by which I do that is I use the connected headphone to my phone. Like I literally use the cords. So like as I'm preparing for sleep, I'll like pull this headphone, you know, like I'll pull the cords out of my drawer and they're very often like just a mess. And I I remember Kevin Kelly's, you know, this might be number 39 out of 100. He's just like Gently. slowly, slowly loosen by pulling and, and pulling away. Are you also listening to Bloomberg when you go to sleep? Uh, no, I listen to fiction, my friend. Oh. It's Didn't see that coming. Way better way to fall asleep. Mm. So I find the fiction is almost like I'm slipping into a dream where it's like the dream is happening to me and then it just happens. I Then I just become part of it. Okay. Uh, but yeah. So I was wondering if you guys had read the book because like that was one of my takeaways, which I think 
he took these like a hundred commandments and turned them into a into the book. Yeah, I mean it's it's a bunch of like almost like tweet style comments. Uh, very easy to read. It's like a good coffee book. It's a good gift book. But like, yeah, you can pick it up, set it down, start wherever you want. But yeah, yeah, it's got some good stuff in there. Definitely recommend uh, picking it up. It's 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 a really good uh, pre bedtime read because uh, you don't have to you don't get lost in anything. Worst case, you just you forget the last little little uh, thing you read, and then you just sort of jump back in. What's the name back. of it again? Uh, it excellent was excellent advice. rule. Excellent, excellent advice, advice for, for living. living. Yeah. Let me see what's on the Audible version. You guys have it on there. But tell me your tease. What do we fuck up? Okay, so yeah, before yeah, what, I, what was grinding your gears? Let's just get to the brass tacks. So I like the I like the conversation. I like the structure. I like you guys talked about travel, and you went into more of the tech side. But you know, I I wanted like deeper dives on tech. This guy this guy has like more technology than we do, and it seemed like we kept the conversation at about you know the ten thousand feet level that we are always at instead of like digging deep. I wanted like, I wanted like a nerdy version of our AI talks, like, like use him. And, and if he's not an AI specialist, like what, what version of tech is he really, really better than us at? And like, you know, use that. Yeah. I mean, I think we had the same thoughts. I mean, he, he, he originally had an hour, he gave us an hour and a half. So we felt like, well, well yeah, the first 30 minutes was talking about traveling, which is fine, but I, like once you got into tech I, stuff, I enjoyed the travel conversation. I thought it was yeah. actually pretty in, enlightening. Like I, I think I've had those thoughts, but hadn't put in those frameworks. So I liked his, I liked his like three outcomes of travel. I yeah. did like that, and I, relaxation, and, adventure, and otherness. Yes, and and I don't know. I think he mentioned learning as part of it. Like, oh yeah, sorry, learning yes. was the third, but he said there was this like sense. Yeah, so of the, otherness he said there's three reasons to travel, right? right. One was to learn, the other one was basically to relax, and then the other one was adventure, yeah. which I thought was like a good framework actually for how to think of and I don't actually think about that when I travel. I'm usually like, oh, I want to go here. I usually think about the place, but I think it might be interesting to actually think about the why do I want so to travel. I, I actually think about it quite a bit, and I'm trying to get the latter two now because I feel like it's a lot easier to do the adventure. So the latter two are? Are adventure and learning or otherness. Okay. And when you're younger, it's just it's just easier, right? Like you can do Paris when you're however many years old. Totally. Very, mm -hmm. very easily. So the relaxation parts, th those, are, those are easy to do. But I feel like the climbing Machu Picchu, Kilimanjaro, yes. Th Thailand, like th those are those are tougher places as you get older, especially if you plan on traveling with kids. Like totally, it, so you have to get the adventure, and like your your window for adventure is actually really small. So for me, like it was more of a retrospective where I like I looked back at my my previous travels and I said like, oh well, here are my favorite ones. This was scratching my adventure portion, or this was scratching my learning one and I, I i started to like you know associate them with those three categories and i was like oh yeah well that makes total sense where, where, which bucket them. did you fall in the most uh all all of them because I, I, I yeah well i guess like I, i've enjoyed all three you know like we together you know on my like bachelor party we went to a hike you know that was like arduous with no freaking water with <laughs> dave hoffman and it was like uh you know i wanted to do that despite like the fact that i remember steven 
Stephen the morning after was like, this was awful. I hate this sleep. I have the worst sleep of my life. And I was like, that's kind of the point. Like, it's like, you, I had a good time. I, I completely oh, reject you're this. lying by the pure pitch of your voice in that comment. Yeah, like, that high, was a dead giveaway. You went high. You went I, a little high. I was incensed that we forgot to bring water on the hike. We didn't forget. There was a filter issue. And luckily, Eric, being no, a good go- No, at the end of the hike, we had the opportunity to acquire water for by the By going next back day. an hour. By going back, hiking back an but hour. we were literally at a hold on, thing. Hold on. Okay, I'm, so I'm going to let this slide. By, this slide by going continue. back an hour. But then remember, we had the, the tablets that took like two hours to like cook Here. the water anyway so like it didn't it wouldn't have helped us i was really. literally at a body of water and i asked around i said should we be filling up some stuff right now and i was told no we don't we'll be fine we He's don't need standing it. in front of the body of water <laughs> literally we were physically like, in the water I drink this no no don't do that make it hard well i will say that like when i look at some of the most memorable moments i've had in my life to date it's been those adventure ones like going to thailand to train muay thai hiking kilimanjaro those are like easily memorable ones like if your la if your life had a flash before your eyes those i don't know maybe maybe might be the one so i feel like those are the high value ones i don't know okay i mean i like all of them so one of my favorite trips ever which is sort of underrated um by like global standards is peru and one of the reasons why i loved peru is i went to this one museum and i don't even fucking care about museums for the most part but i went to this one museum in peru i don't even know the name of it Anyone can just Google it because like I'm, I'll describe it, but it's like it's this museum that that shows like the ancient history of the Incas that that existed on on South America, the continent at the same time that the Egyptians were. And like, you know, being an American student, we hear about we learn about ancient history as like Mesopotamia, Egypt, right. whatever. But at the same exact time, there was civilization happening on South America. So I go to this this museum and I see like you know relics of this civilization that was also existing at the same time and I'm like fascinated that I've never learned it before. So this was like my version of this like education style travel where I really geeked out and and you know I, I don't know what bucket that is for him bucket three or whatever yeah. but, but I I was like enamored with Peru based on that and like the the. Peruvian civilization that was like the Incan culture, like basically took over the entire continent. So it it was amazing. Yeah, I think like uh, part of his otherness part of travel, you should always go see local art, like local artists, like even if it's a contemporary artist or or like you're saying some historian like things. I always try to fit uh, a museum or two. Did it in Japan. Um, I think it's it should be part of every uh, every trip you take. What do you think about? Um, his selection. So his first recommendation was was Burma. Yeah, Myanmar, right? Myan- sorry, formerly Burma. Formerly Burma. Yeah, Myanmar. Like, I, it wouldn't have been on my radar at all. Um, but he said it's actually easy to travel hold to. On, hold on. I don't know where this is. Is this Southeast Asia? I don't okay, even so know where this West is. It's easy to travel to. I thought it was like a 25-hour trip. Where is, is it? Really easy to yeah, travel west to? West of Thailand? Thailand? What is it? Near Thailand. Yeah, it's like in kind of Indonesia-ish area, yeah. right? I don't know. It's an island, Southeast Asia. Is that right? It's over there. Okay, yeah, it's over there. It's way it's over great. there. It's, it's great, apparently. Okay, let me go back to uh, where I think you guys, where I was like wanting more, okay? 
Yeah. And what so, questions would you ask? Calcium wants to know, like if you had specific questions. Oh, uh, well, I, I might've had specific questions for him that were independent of our, of, of your guys' conversation. So like what I, what I like about alpha alpha, the podcast, and this is like what, who we are naturally is that we tend to dig deep on things, go a little deeper. We go a little deeper and we, um, we don't just accept things at face value. We want to ask more questions. Granted, this was an interview style right. where you're not necessarily like, well, I guess that was my question. You have Kevin Kelly on, you want to sort of like edify this person and like broadcast their new book that's coming out. But like, I, I was sort of of the mind that like on a alpha alpha episode, like let's make him one of us, not like three and one. Yeah, but like I think for audience members, they want to hear the guests because like they can hear us, mm. you know, every week. And so I think it makes sense to give him 80% of the voice. Touche. Yeah. However, you know, like here's one uh, example. Like we talk about crypto. We just did a yeah. fucking whole hour on it. And, you know, he poo-pooed crypto basically saying, well, my sons have never given me an example outside of uh, money as a use case for crypto. And you guys are just like, yeah, well, they exist, but they're kind of a mess right now. Okay, anyways. And I was like, I gave him no, like, that is not what happened. I reject this, actually. That's because, exactly what happened. No, it's not. Like, um, I, I actually put a specific thing out there. I said, like, what do you think about this use case for crypto and AI? And he, and he was like, you know, I hadn't thought about that before. But good as point. you said, that, a, like, that, I, I think that that and, could be... That, and, that's a good point. You did you did do that question, okay, and I, I like reject that the the concept that we didn't attempt because I did pull up Vitalik's top five use cases for for crypto going forward, and I mentioned the ones that that weren't money, and I didn't I didn't forcefully do it though. I didn't say like yes, you, I just okay. kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah. had him to think about digital identity, right? And okay, th so there was some stuff in there. So to be fair, I I did recall Nick's portion where he said where Nick pushed back gently where he said. Well, there are these things, you know, there are uh, decentralized identity, there are DAOs or whatever. And he goes, well, how's that going? And it was like, okay, well, conversation over. Like, I can agree with him on that but one. Well, yeah. I agree with him on that. That's that fine. That's a shit show. That's and, fine. And, and, but and like, I agree. I think we all actually agree with his basic premise, which is that crypto fails as money. Totally fine. And we were but like, like, yeah, totally fine. Totally but agree. Like, but don't you, you think that of... that can be a conversation? And like, he goes, he goes specifically... I have this conversation with my sons and it ends very quickly. He has this conversation with Alpha Alpha, Alpha and it also ends very quickly. Like I was thinking like this well, could have been a deeper conversation. What do you think about his whole perspective that like in order to prove crypto's broader use case, some people say it's a one to two trillion dollar market cap looking for a use case. Uh, he said, show me use case outside of money. So is that is no. that the right no, point I, of view? Because I don't necessarily agree with no, that point I, of view. I That was another point that I... I didn't really align with, but that was his subjective position, which is like, I think he doesn't find money interesting. Fine. But that doesn't mean that crypto is useless. Like right. the money use case can be massive. It, he just doesn't find it interesting to talk about. Fine. There, there are many other use cases to talk about. Right. And I just don't think, I know you guys mentioned things here and there, but like, you know, Alpha, alpha, we we dig deeper, and I don't right. think we I don't think that. I mean, we, we were having group, conversations on the side, typing to each other, like, should we keep going? Yeah, on I don't this? think we dug like, deeper on on it's very him. hard in an, in an hour, and it, this is like an interesting question. Like, what is more interesting? Is it more interesting to get his take 
on travel, AI, God, crypto, nature of technology? Or is it more interesting to just go really, really deep on one thing for an hour? I actually don't know the the answer to that or what is actually more interesting to people. Well, I would have like, I agree. And who knows? I, I don't know. But like where I found myself being like, ooh, I want, like that's where I was like, I want to jump in. But it, uh, you know, I think that was more interesting to me. And I think it's interesting because this is a guy who has decades long perspective on tech. This is not like uh, some moron flash in the pan right. take where he's like, we could discuss with a lot of nuance these things that we like talk about all the time. Well, uh, the, the the problem with the crypto thing was it, it was very apparent to me that he, he like he hadn't thought like extraordinarily deeply about even it. said it. And he himself said it. And I think to his credit, like he was sort of open minded about it. And I think the thing that he put forth out there was actually really accurate. Like if you think about our conversations with crypto and we remove money from them, yeah, we're left with almost nothing. Yeah. Like it's very it's a very small sliver because that is it, it like as we talk about it, like it is a glorified casino at right now and what are casinos about they're about winning and losing money and that's not to say that there's nothing else there but like he he did strike on something that i think is real which is that like under the surface we're all trying to make money or if you're a bitcoiner you think that crypto <laughs> is money yeah and i i think that actually the, the that's the more ridiculous thing i think it's like a, like a, at least like it, it it makes sense to me to take a step back and be like yeah, we are trying to make money. We are trying to figure out how to enrich yeah, ourselves and, by understanding this tech. And, and that, that is true it, to who we okay. are. Because like, let's be honest, we have a money portion of our podcast. But if crypto wasn't the best risk return asset class that we see, we'd be talking about something completely different. Agree. Yeah. And and I'd actually like to um, question him now. I was questioning you guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to question him now a little bit because I remember... Armand had interviewed him a couple times on his Flow podcast prior to ever yeah, coming on interviews. Alpha Alpha. And those were great interviews. And Armand's description of how he viewed crypto, as I recall, was something like, hey, don't worry so much about um, these like prices and money and stuff. He's like, this will all be just infrastructure. This will be the pipes that enable greater use cases of tech in the future. And then when Armand pressed that, to him, just like using his own words, he's like, he kind of like backed off it. He's like, nah, I actually just don't care. Like, it just seemed like he didn't yeah, care. I, I, I did think he at least reached the main point was that, hey, crypto's main use case is decentralization. And when you decentralize any kind of processing power, there are trade-offs. And so what use cases are good in which those trade-offs are acceptable? So he did mention a little bit of that. I mean, he literally said blockchain technology is just not that interesting. He's like, you guys are trying to make this more interesting than it actually is, which was... What's interesting to us because we're trying to make money off it. Yeah, I, I sort of agree with, disagree with that take to an extent. Like, I, I think there's something at the root of Bitcoin that is actually very interesting, just in just the robustness. And, and it, like he mentioned this, that one of the benefits of decentralization is the adaptability and the robustness of the ability to survive. And that I think is like interesting. And I think what Bitcoin did to sort of bring that into the world is interesting, right? The problem has just sort of been that like the use case of 
survival in a world of relative abundance and ease, especially in the Western world, there's just not been like a compelling use case for us. But if you sort of take a step back and, and look at what's there, it it is interesting, but it's more interesting in theory to us than actual application. And maybe there are lots so of places in the world where it is interesting in application, but I've uh, argued often on this pod that what's actually most interesting to them, if you drill down to the brass tacks, is the ability to just use digital dollars, not to necessarily use digital Bitcoins, which kind of comes full circle to his point, which is that crypto and money is not that interesting yet. And it hasn't gotten a lot of adoption yet. So it, it's hard to disagree with them. Um, but like, I, I agree with Eric that like, you know, he hasn't, I, I don't think he's thought insanely deeply about this to the extent that he clearly has about some other stuff. And I think some of the other stuff we talked about, like yeah. he really sort of went down the, uh, down the rabbit hole. So let's, can we, things. can we go into the next one? So, you know, the, I thought the meatiest part of his was about techno optimism, specifically AI optimism. I think in previous podcasts, we talked about AI. We've certainly been tilted by some red flags and warning signals of AI causing and wreaking havoc on, on the world. And he took a, a broader approach and said that, you know, a few things about techno optimism. One, over a long time horizon, you only have to believe that there will be 1% more good than bad. I like that. And I was like, oh, I guess the threshold for being an optimist is it keeps it uh, pretty, pretty easy. Because of the compounding effect, which I had never considered outside of um, investing, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I loved, I loved okay. that. I actually sort of, I, I mean, I broadly agree with that take, but I think there's like a huge gaping hole in it when it came to AI. Okay. Can I mention the second part of his thing before you get into that? So he, yes. he, he mentions that, um, you know, optimism is actually the most rational way of viewing it it's the most realistic way of viewing it because if you use history as a guide technology has continued to advance us forward on on a broad scale you you could talk about splitting the atom sure we we had some bad things happen but on on the whole think things are good so given that do you still think he's missing you know the point about ai and, and, and is ai like uh, an exception to his kind of broader argument yeah, it is because look to make a trading analogy. If I gave you a strategy that made, say, that one percent, it's fifty-one forty-nine over time, right? And I give you an infinite bankroll, and the the variance is relatively low. Well, over the course of like centuries, that yeah, you you will have your downswings. Become the rich but guy you will the world. make tons of money, right? Where this analogy sort of falls flat is that like that assumes that you don't blow your whole bankroll, right? So if I give you a strategy that has like a one or two percent mm, edge, good one, but it has insane volatility to yeah, it, ignores. especially volatility. So so one of the interesting things about financial markets is that they have they're not like a bell curve, right? They actually have fat tails, and the tails to the downside are really, really pronounced. And I think that is definitely the case in in tech. That's definitely the case in in AI, right? Like we have the very essence of fat tails where we're like you could have a strategy that is plus 30% in expectation every time you run the strategy. But one in 1 million times the strategy blows up your entire bankroll and you go broke. 
and then you can't it. use the yeah. strategy anymore but we're not broke like that's the extinction of humanity <laughs> right, right? He, so, like he's ignoring magnitude in his uh in yeah his and that's the thing i worry about and, and this is not me being a doomer because i i do think like i actually am on a, a larger scale like an, an optimist um but if you have something that humanity other than nuclear, right? And I think nuclear is definitely a thing and we're, we're not out of the woods on that yet either. But other, until we invented nuclear, there was no technological innovation that threatened to just wipe us out with one bad event. But now we have nuclear. We've almost killed ourselves multiple times with it already. Like honestly, like the, the history of us having these close calls is, is quite insane. But now we're also going to layer AI onto that. And, and again, like we don't necessarily get a chance to, to evolve, like to iterate, we can't take a scratch. Like if the scratch is in a scratch, it's like, it's not a flesh wound. It's like our head gets chopped off. Then we're, we're just dead. We can't go on. So that was something that I was, I was worried about a little bit. Um, I have a quote. I want to know if it, uh, if it changes your mind, by the way, I got the quote since Armand's here, I'll shout out to him. And Ian, by the way, who's a listener to the podcast, I got the transcription off uh, steno.ai. Oh, nice. It was actually... Nice plug. It was Love nice. It. Um, anyway, um, he, man, he says, I mean, a lot of pessimism. I think people are pessimistic because it makes them sound smart. But actually, I think the smarter, more informed, you know, again, if you look at the actual evidence, not naivete, but let's look at the evidence. You have to acknowledge that reality says progress is real. So he kind of introduces this behavioral bias that humans have that being pessimistic being potentially a naysayer like Nuriel Rubini or whatever makes them sound smart so when you look at like Elon Musk or some of the bigger people warning red flags and I'm, I'm not saying I agree with this I'm just saying does that argument hold uh, hold any weight for you or it still doesn't apply I, I, I love this quote yeah and I think it's absolutely true and it's something that like I have to think about a lot myself the idea that it it sounds smarter to be a doomer, to be a pessimist, especially in our realm of finance, right, is absolutely 100% true. And we've been, I, I think, fairly doomerish in the financial world for a year and a half now, right? But that has also been the correct perspective. But it's 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 usually only the correct perspective on like a very narrow time frame, and, and it can be very easy to get sucked into that and to make that your identity uh, and to, to basically become like a Nuriel Rabini just permanently, you just become <laughs> like a perma bear. And then you miss out on, on the long run of progress, which is mainly up only, right? If you zoom out far enough. And that's something like I worry about. And like I know we have people in chat heckling us, calling us, you know, crypto doomers and stuff. Yeah. Um, because we are like, yeah. And 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 I, I do think the caution is still warranted, but we also should check ourselves. Like we're not going to make it in the long run by being perma bears. And although being a perma bear can like well, being a perma bear can't have its place, but being a selective bear, I think can definitely have its place in finance, but also in this other stuff. Yeah. It's important, but yeah, you can't get sucked into that. And, and absolutely people do it to sound smart. It sounds smart to, as a, as a contrarian, like I, you know, I hate to say this, but like it feels good and you feel smart when you're a contrarian. It you feels sort of good have to, to like, you have to uh, be sort of 
on an island in order to sound smart. Otherwise, you sound like everybody else. You know, that's just the nature of it. Well, yes. I'd say that's very aware of you to like think that. And I also uh, come across his quote, that specific quote, when it comes to being an entrepreneur, because it's it's a lot harder to build stuff, but it's a lot easier to like rip stuff down on why it won't work or why this this mm -hmm. is not going to to work. And when it's when it's a little shaky, why it's not working. I've been on both ends of the spectrum. Like when you're building stuff, you you have to like uh, be an optimist about that these things will work. And even in our own business now, like when we propose stuff, uh, I found myself like, well, that won't work because X, Y, and Z. And you have to make sure that's not some behavioral bias, like you said, just to sound smart or even to to be smart. Because sometimes you just need to like build in in, in the face of pessimism regardless because that's the only way you can progress over the over the long run so yeah that that quote hit home for some reason and uh yeah, yeah it's, it struck me too for sure that's one I, I wanted to to bring up um anything about other technology stuff that that we should bring up uh well, before we move to like the, a the lot death? yeah let's, um, let's, let's go over it okay i thought another interesting point he brought up was he was talking about the ai doomers and he was one I'm just going to very loosely summarize what he said, um, and it's not going to be 100% accurate. We're talking about like Eliezer and, and all these guys. Yeah, and Elon and Stephen Hawking, some yeah. some huge brains. Um, he, he said, broadly speaking, that they sort of overvalue intelligence. They overvalue IQ. They think it's the only thing, um, which I thought was very insightful. And I think I think it is a bias that smart people tend to have it's like um, people who have an mba are the only people who value an mba yeah yeah and like this is something that resonated with me like when i was a kid like i got really attached to like my test scores and stuff it became like a part of my identity and i was like this is what it means to be successful you know getting good scores on tests and having high iqs and all this stuff this is and i i think as you grow older like hopefully you 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 realize a lot of stuff he's saying is is true that there's this whole world outside of raw intelligence that matters a lot maybe even more so than i mean i know he used the example like does the company with like all the smartest people win well i would say like you know probably mostly actually sometimes yeah, yeah sometimes, i would but... say like on average it's probably a good bet to make but i the the point i think stands that there are other things that go into success um like the invention of the the airplane was a good example of this. Like there was a another guy competing with like the Wright brothers who was funded with tons of money and he was a brilliant person and sort of like tried to think through how the plane would fly, you know, from like a first principles thing and sort of declared it to be impossible. And the Wright brothers just tested, iterated yeah. <laughs> like a billion times. They were like, Let's fly that and then crash it into a hill. They'll be like, well, that didn't work. Let's do something else. And that that philosophy won out, not the gigabrain. Oh, I'm gonna quantify mm. all the physics of it. And like and to this day, I think like people are still like trying to, you know, talk through like how exactly do you play like it's not like uh even now, I I don't know that we fully can like calculate everything. Maybe that age the age terribly, but yeah. Um but uh, yeah, the, the 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 point of that is like there's this whole other element of grit and an iteration and trial and error 
that matters a lot more than raw intelligence. And I think this is especially true in business, right? Where you are more likely to fail than not by a wide margin in most ventures and have to almost be a little delusional at times to even attempt things. Totally. So bringing it back to AI, it seemed like the point he was making was that um, these hyper-intelligent people, uh, let's call them Elon Musk, Stephen Hawking, who are warning about AI, they identify with IQ, maybe high test scores, and that they only view AI through the lens of high test scores, high IQ, which it could certainly display. But uh, And he, he argued that you can't even necessarily measure IQ, but there's a whole set of aspects, other different types of intelligences that they're not viewing AI as and where it may be lacking. Did, did I get that? Do you get the same thing yeah. that like so only an one lens? An example yeah. he used, um, which I think spawned, there was actually an interesting uh, discussion in the Discord on this. Like he talked about who who wins when you put a human in a cage with a lion, like the smart one. That was a pretty poor analogy. Yeah. And I didn't, uh, like I honestly, I, I don't know. I, I felt a little iffy on this. I know that uh, Noah in the Discord did not appreciate this analogy. <laughs> um, and I thought it was a little off as as well. Like I, I think there is actually like a very large element of truth to what he is saying, which is that we overvalue intelligence, which is that smart people especially wildly overvalue intelligence. At the same time, though, I think that let's take it. Let's take a characteristic like strength. Imagine just supreme physical strength. Versus the most the most supreme physical strength you could imagine versus the most supreme intelligence. It seems sort of self-evident to me that the supreme intelligence wins out over the supreme physical strength, unless you select like a very carefully curated, you know, situation Test, like yeah. human in cage with lion. Yeah, your intelligence doesn't matter there, right? But there's like an element of intelligence that has the ability to sort of like multiply, spawn versions of itself to like improve. Whereas like the physical strength is just like you're just sort of limited by the laws of physics that govern your your physical body. So like I, I found that to be a little bit of an imperfect analogy. And I do think yeah. there is a premium on intelligence for sure. Yeah, and he may have been making the point that like AI can only do so much. It can spit back answers at you. But, you know, the thing we, we didn't bring up was that it can execute code. It can post code. It can pull in data. It can post to social media profiles. And I'm sure there may be a switch where there's like a human intervention for a while. But you could certainly see AutoGBT, you know, posing as humans, replicating itself 10,000 Leverage, times. right? Right, leverage. Leverage, I think, matters. Um there's insane leverage and in intelligence. There's insane leverage and in software. Um, the physical world, like physical strength, you are you are very constrained by your mass, the energy you consume, like things like like that. It it just it does seem a little different. So yeah, Max brought up the point that like AI may not necessarily have like uh well this is not the point he brought up, but I'm uh, kind of weaving in some of his comments in the chat, mm -hmm. but about um perseverance like in the cases that you were talking about with building like the Wright brothers perseverance won over intelligence maybe that's like an emotional characteristic that ai doesn't have like it has like almost like an engineering mind does plugging this into this produce a current no it doesn't so 
I stop. Where, you know, human might be more, uh, have more ingenuity and, and keep persevering. So I don't know, maybe that's one of the trade-offs, but uh, I think this one was, was a little tough to swallow initially. And, and as more so as I thought about it afterwards, um, about, like you're saying, the, the magnitude, the leverage that AI has that might be much more different than other technologies. Yeah, I would argue that if you just look at what's played out via evolution, right? Like the most prolific species on Earth, they're they're not the they're physically not the strongest. strong yeah. ones. You have like humans with like intellect, and then you have like bugs and stuff like that. <laughs> like like and, an and ant then, can lift and, and then, like, so these, much more these than a human. Tigers yeah. are endangered. Yeah, like some of these physical specimens, right? So, I think that if you just look at what's happened in nature over the course of centuries, like you'll see that nature itself has actually decided there is a premium on intelligence over you know physical strength, and there is actually like some sort of divide between all of these um, characteristics. Sorry, I'm uh, distracted because Milo's dreaming and he's barking in his dreams. He's a very little I wish I could hit camera three right now yeah. and turn it to Milo. Yeah, if you hear any barking, he's just uh, hopefully having a good dream, chasing the ball. Yeah, that looks like a good one. Good barking. <laughs> um, <laughs> can we talk about his death comments a little bit? Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So he to, to recap, he said that he practiced for an extended period of time Six with the idea. Well, this was what I wasn't clear on. Did you gather that he said he practiced for six months with the idea that he was going to die or that he practiced the idea that he was going to die in six months the, the for the a period one. of time? The That's what I thought. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, first of all, I've never heard of this idea. So, good idea. God, second of all... Like the discipline to do that in your life. Uh, second of all, I destroy my life. <laughs> <laughs> you would spend all the money, right? That's the first thing I would do. Oh, and then I have a marriage that just is <laughs> obliterated and shambles. <laughs> so yeah, so for people who didn't listen, he had an experience. He said he had a, a religious experience that that prompted this experiment, and in it, he picked a date six months from today. And the goal was to live like he was going to die on that date. And he actually fucking lived it. He prepared his funerals. He wrote letters to people saying things maybe he, he would say only if he was dying. Even up to the point where on D-Day, on death day, he literally was lying in bed like, I'm lying in bed. I will go to sleep and I will not wake up. And How far do you think he took it? Like with his like aunts and uncles they actually think he's dead like, well I, I mean i don't know because like i'm trying to think of that myself like there's obviously people around you like haha you're going through a phase you're a little yeah uh, you put in parentheses at the bottom of the note like jk though yeah like you're also freaking people out but people are also thinking you're going cuckoo but at the same time you're like well i'm doing this for myself like to to kind of like come present with the idea of death which you don't often do in your fucking 20s let alone your 30s or 40s. But, but you could do this without telling everybody that you, I'm dying, right? You could just be like, okay, if if you thought I need to be more present with the people around me, I need to say the things that people say at the funerals, but I need to say it in real life. It seems you could do most of this stuff without 
telling people I'm I'm dying in six months and they're like, what? And you're like, no, not really. But I'm like, you could actually live this out without having people think you're losing your mind because you're, you know, you could just do the things, right? Like, I mean, I thought myself, what would I do differently if I knew I was going to die in six months? I would stop working. Yeah. Even though I enjoy it. I think it's a fun game to play every day. I like coming in, hanging out with my friends, working on tough puzzles. It's what, what it feels me. like. I would, I would be day trading until the <laughs> day. To the day. <laughs> would you? The day. No, it sounds terrible. No, you'd be gone, dude. <laughs> so like, so in France, even if you wine did play it on your own, people are like, why haven't you fucking worked or showed up for the podcast in six months? Like that, that would be a thing that come up. But is it, is it I worth would it? still do the podcast though. Oh, you would? Well, I, I mean, contrary to popular belief, I don't do this for the immense amounts of cash that you comes don't? into my bank. Oh, you haven't been getting the checks? My bad. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds um, me, uh, you guys owe money for uh, next month's bills. Yeah. <laughs> 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 really need to start that OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Eric, what did you what did you think about that? Because like in the middle of the interview, my jaw literally dropped. I was like, you did what? I wanted a little more clarity uh, and depth on on his practices because he said like well i actually did it it's like okay well what did you do though because like it it's one thing to say but oh, no i actually lived like i was dying it's like but to what degree because there are so many degrees by which you could play this pretend game and i didn't really he made it sound like he had actually accepted he's buried alive and very he brain. phrased it as holy shit my eyes opened I am kind of reborn. Like I have a new lease. Yeah, on the last life. day he woke up and wasn't dead. I just want to know more. Like, don't you guys want to know more? I do. Have you guys ever had a dream where you were like terminally ill and thought you were going to die? No, I've really? fallen a lot. I actually have this dream a lot. I've probably had this dream ten times in my life. It's a very weird dream. It's a very specific dream. I've actually often wondered if anybody I hear all has about this it. dream. I want to hear all about it. No, I have a very specific type of dream. It doesn't happen a lot, but it has happened maybe once every two years of my life where I am like terminally ill in my dream. And I really think I'm dead or going to die. And then I wake up and like I'm alive. And it's it's a really bizarre feeling, actually. And... I am such a creature of habit that unfortunately I forget about it within like six hours and I'm back into my old ways. But it is a bizarre feeling to so what actually some, wake like, up and be like, holy. Wait, what are some tangible examples from the dream that you like, you can like vividly remember? Like people are around you on your deathbed or is it like uh, you're telling people? Like, what is it? How does no, it go? Just like, you, like, I've, I've, like I've dreamt in some of them, like I have terminal cancer and I'm, and then what, I'm basically dying. Yeah, so what happens next? You talk you talk to your family or what happens next? That's what I'm wondering. Like, how does it go? I'm usually not like going out windsurfing in the dreams. And like, <laughs> like they're usually quite dramatic, actually, or traumatic, I should say. And like intense and sad and kind of painful. It's not like, like it's not bliss in the dream. Yeah. It's like, oh, the dream is like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. And then you like wake up. And it's, wait a minute, that was a dream. I'm alive. And for this like couple second period, it, it's like it, literally to your brain, like you were going to die and you're not going to die. It, it's it's kind of a crazy feeling. I'd be curious if anybody out there has I mean, ever had these Most dreams. of my dreams are about death and I find them 
immediately when you wake up traumatic but also therapeutic they're kind of like cathartic in a way yeah most um, of your dreams are about death yeah most wow yeah, most. those are fucked up you should talk to people <laughs> i know for i know for a fact <laughs> yeah, that eric has none of these dreams <laughs> i have bad dreams that are like i missed a plane and i'm like running to the plane i'm like scrambling in the airport to be like what gate is it and Maybe i wake I up like I wake up like panicked. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> Maybe we should grow mustaches, Steven. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Life's good so hold there. on. Life's good over there. Hold on. Tell me. Tell me what... I don't want to tell about this, but I want to talk about like, so he actually, we, we're talking about dreaming him, but he actually did all this in real life. But I mean, what do you think about his, his broader view on death? Because not only does he have that, but he lives it every day. He has, he has a death calendar. And then he has on his computer that he can see all the time his actuarial table of yeah. how many days he has left to to live. And like you could be like, well, that's like a very morose way to go through life. But also, is it does it highlight the preciousness of the day that you're living in, the mundane parts I, I of the day? I'm so glad he said this because um I think we actually know this person, but I, I remember hearing conversations a couple of years ago about how this person had like set up a like actuarial clock in their office and this person's wife was like what the fuck are you doing this is so <laughs> horrible and then he was like this is great it's really making me present and she was basically just like fuck no this is terrible stop this this is so morbid i hate this and and at the time i thought about it and i said to myself is this is this cool or is this terrible and i actually didn't arrive at a uh at a conclusion at the time. And so when I heard Kevin bring it up again, I, I thought about it again. And I, I feel like I was a little more like amenable to the idea of doing it um, in my present self. Um, He's got 5,800 days left. So have, like based on your guys' experiences in your subconscious, your dream world, did that give you perspective when you were, when you woke up and you're like, oh God, I'm alive. Did that give you like this new profound meaning for living or like i need to well, max by, by, by the way max said those aren't dreams we've been having Derek, <laughs> they're called nightmares right, right, right. <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> probably a recurring nightmare it's probably <laughs> i mean mine are about other people yours are about yourself okay so maybe let me ask steven steven when you have these nightmares when you wake up you're like oh thank god like now i need to live my life to the fullest because i'm not actually dead like is that is that what you're feeling or no i mean like like i said i feel like i have like a very i'm un, unable to my muscle memory for it is very weak it's the same thing like when i do psychedelics i feel like i do them and immediately after i have this whole new perspective on life myself i'm gonna <laughs> do all these things differently and then i feel like i just fall into the rut of habit yeah again yeah yeah like the um it, it, there's it's no staying so, power. It's so powerful. Like just, but if it's on your habit. computer every day, how many days you have left to live and you see that tick down every day, does it help? So maybe that, because, okay, so I want to like describe an anecdote, right? I have a buddy who you guys have met, um, uh, who was terminally ill. He had, he had like stage four cancer and he beat it. He beat it. And he was like on death's doorstep. And I asked him, um, uh, afterwards, I was like, so, how you feeling now? Like you, you uh, have this like enlightenment where you need to live a certain way or whatever. And he's like, nah, man, I'm just trying to make money like you. <laughs> like it's just, it's just that same grind. 
faced with the reality of day-to-day life. And uh, I mean, I get it. I get it. But I also feel like, you know, part of me is like, man, what a wasted opportunity in a way. You know, maybe because like I'm I'm almost like through osmosis, like feeling feeling some enlightenment. But then but then again, you know, I'm just asking the guy and yeah, says, no, here's what it is. Can can I bring a little uh, money episode into this? Yeah. So we're talking about actual burn down charts of your own life. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about one of the potentially worst investments of all time. So you can actually buy another L. In a, not 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 a loss I've taken because I definitely haven't done this before. But okay. you can you can purchase other people's life insurances off them. Yeah, there was a guy at the country club I used to belong to back when I played golf and wasn't terrible. Yeah, and that was what he did, and he was extraordinarily rich. No, if you do it on a large scale, you become extraordinarily rich. But it's but a weird business, though. It's a weird business. So these are older people. Maybe they have life insurance that are for their kids when they when they die. So you can do it on an individual basis. Or are you talking doing no, broadly? It, it is on an individual basis. Oh. So what happens is you say, "Hey, I'm interested in purchasing a life insurance policy." Uh, they'll say, "Okay, here we go. We have a couple for you. Uh, here's their." like medical burn down chart of the probability, the distribution of probabilities of when they will die. Here's all their medical history. And this is as the actuary, we think when they're going to die. And here's the fucking ROI you will make off their death. Yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's an equation. I knew private equity guys that were doing this on a a broad basis. And it was like securitizing them and packaging them up. The idea was it's like morbidity versus mortality. It's like people are living longer now, but they're, they're going to need more help in the future. So like these life insurance companies were probably going under. So they were buying them on pennies on the dollar. Huh. Uh, so then it becomes like a, a, an equation. Yeah. If, if you can get over the past the, the, the moroseness of it and having to set up Google alerts for the person's name that you <laughs> have the life insurance policy on. <laughs> Uh, be plus, plus obituary. Day trade. Right, right, right. So if you get past <laughs> that, it's actually the opposite of like multifamily investments, which I'm a fan of. You literally have to pay cash flow out of your pocket every month. You have to take over their oh, premiums. That seems pretty similar. You, you upload cash up front, give them a cash payout, and then you have to pay over their premiums. And then when they die, if they die on time, then <laughs> you have like a massive windfall. Sometimes, you know, five million bucks, for example. But Throughout that whole time, you're bleeding fucking cash flow. God, anyway, it's like such a bad incentive structure. I know. So if yeah, Armand was here, he wouldn't have let me go on that tangent. Oh, no, but it, I, I wanted to let it rip. So <laughs> I'm a fan of business models in general. <laughs> this is just another version of that. I have no qualms about it. Like the business model already exists, right? It's called life insurance. Yeah. So you're just you're just playing the same game. You're playing the opposite side. So uh he also mentioned about death that like you know, I think Armand probed him a little bit. I'm like, so what's the meaning of it all? So like you use this death and you put it in front of you every day. So what? And he said, uh, he, he kind of like simplified it to a few things. He's like, we can do something that has an impact over time. We can leave somebody behind, have kids that will affect several generations. We can make something like a building that will survive, uh, you know, a few generations. Um, and he just... Describe that's that's about it, right? Because in four generations, no one will ever speak your name again. And you know, he brought the idea of you have two deaths. You know, the, well, he he kind of referenced it, didn't bring it up explicitly, but you you die once when you physically die, and then when the last time someone speaks your name is like your Damn. your second death. And he's like, so there's only a few things you can do to like. I felt let that it rip. one. By the way, I felt that one. 
Yeah, oh, yeah. When he said that, I was like, oof. There is a last time when you will ever be spoken of again. Like maybe Alexander the Great is one of the few who like you just still kept has... him alive. You just kept him alive. Yeah, yeah. I gave him a little extension. But he describes it as like, uh, I love this quote. He's like, and it's like maybe the best ride in the multiverse. Yeah. Okay. Like there may be other other types of life we're not aware of, but it's literally the best ride in the universe if you believe in God or gods. Like they are literally looking down, being like, I wish I could be, you know, on the field. So I've I, always kind of been on board with that idea that this that this is sort of like the heaven. Like this is <laughs> the opportunity. Like yeah. this is the shot. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. The idea that you would want to be in meat space, that if you're just like energy, you right. can't like actually effectuate any change in the physical world and you just pass through everything. In a way, which is kind of uh, a funny way of looking at it. I do feel like in the future, this idea kind of goes away, though, right? Like, we're already... What idea? The idea that you just sort of vanish and you're never seen again. Okay, right? last time someone reads your Twitter post is your third death. And that's it. Like, you write articles. And no, but like I, I think much in the same way that we're already taking Drake and making new songs about him and just like kind of living with him and, and tweaking him in different ways. I think in the future, we just interact with, we if we live in a more digital world and we, are, we get used to hanging out in the digital world and you, God forbid, die someday. I mean, well, you probably I will. will. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let, uh, we don't have to hedge that, I guess, too much. But in a you world, buy where, my life insurance. Policy. Yeah, in a world where <laughs> we have uh, like five thousand episodes of this podcast, and you've written a lot, and maybe I don't know, some other technology exists that just records you in real time throughout your day, and just your your body and everything, and just assembles a massive data set of who you are and what you think. Can't we just use AI to just reconstruct some sort of avatar of you that we can interact with and hang out with and just be with sort of forever mm -hmm. in some digital so, way? I, I think his point is not that it's in, we're incapable of mentioning other people. It's just that like they're so irrelevant. That 99.99% there is no way for them to continue being in our lives at a certain point. They just fade, hmm. you know? That's an interesting take. Like I, so I recently lost a grandmother who will like fade into sort of like global irrelevance, but it wouldn't be irrelevant to me if I had, the, if I had the opportunity to like bring her back for, you know, my own use case or something. Right. You know? Or your children's or my children's. I think so the case remains in four generations. Yeah. Would that still be the case? And I think that argument still remains like no one will care. And it's probably irrelevant. Like in, in 400 years, is that person's thought like the person's thought 70 years ago is probably not that much helpful to us right now so in 400 True. years how useful is that person's outdated like perspective actually useful so i i mean i think that's actually a really interesting question so right. you we would all want to have our i don't know your 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 grandma's around but like mine mine are gone and i wish they were around and I would get a lot of value for talking to them. And then maybe if I had kids, they would like their great grandma. But would would their kids feel the same way about their great great 
grandma and no, like does at some that, point you does just, that dissipate right. yeah even at some if point we... you're kind of over it just like all right shut up old person <laughs> I see steven's logarithmic chart of like how useful just asymptotes over time. Is, <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. What if you had like an incredibly useful novel skill set that just was always just just sort of permeated the family through 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 generations, and everybody wanted to keep going back to the well, right? I, I don't know. Maybe. What if what if your great grandmother or something was just one of the greatest pianists in the, the world? Like, would anybody ever tire of listening to nerve you're truly that good I, I don't know um we kept beethoven alive in your uh goat yeah goat beethoven's episode. he's still going he's, he's i think there's like a, years old he's still there'd going. be a constant use for a guy like david goggins for instance who's like very reliable in his feedback but it would still be useful right like you know 20 generations from now you still get this motherfucker be like fuck off work harder it's like that's still very extendable regardless it still of applies what. you know like even if it's like okay i get it because life will always be hard yeah so he can help push you well, maybe it won't maybe life maybe will won't. be very easy i yeah. mean we talked about that a little bit i thought that was one of the most interesting conversations actually we had where we we, we were like where is where is this all going like why are we creating technology what are we trying to do and what is the is there an end state what what is it well, what is the end state of technology and evolution of, of of humans and everything like that and i thought his answer to that question was was quite interesting he said um, it's to just build more right that's what i kind of got from well it. He, like, he observed that there was just some force in the universe right like we started like big bang right and it's just chaos and we, we only had hydrogen atoms and then something in the universe was just like assembling some sort of order from the chaos and we had then we had more kinds of atoms and then the atoms assembled assembled themselves in into molecules and in and planets and then at some point in time like carbon atoms and whatever assembled themselves in the light forms and like that were a single cell and they started self-assembling into more complex things so there seems to be this weird underlying driving force of the universe that just sort of leverages entropy to take chaos and to create something more complex, complex but yeah. also more orderly in a way from it and it was just like what is that force and what is the driving group behind it and where is it going i i I never really thought about that before, and it was super, it was super interesting to me to 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 think about. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it it's more about like complexity, but it didn't necessarily mean it was like uh, to extend life. It was just more complexity. I thought he was going to be like, well, it's to like make sure life extends. What whatever definition you give that, and certainly not specific to humans, but. But he was more like, nah, it just uh, creates more complexity and builds yeah. upon itself. I mean, what do, do you have an opinion on this? Well, I mean, I do think that like um, actors in the physical world can obviously like direct that energy, right? And so I, I do think for us, we will do it to to extend our life. I, I don't know like if there's anything else out there that but eventually like, we extend our life, right? We we don't stop there. You think we you think we technology achieves infinite life extension and we just stop technology? No, there's no way. Like no, there's I don't just think so. 
like an obvious one is entertainment. Like we try to be more entertained. Like, well, okay, we can live forever. We have everything we want for nothing. We can create all the food we want. We can create any item we want. Like what I think like, what what is there? One of his uh, tenants was that it's not just like uh, an intellectual problem. It's like, it's like a biological evolutionary problem where it's like, okay, so we think that we can extend everything based on consciousness or whatever, but it's like our organisms haven't um, developed to live to a thousand or 2000. So like that will be a problem. And I, I, I think I agree with his point on that. Like it, it will take some uh, getting used to, I guess. Like, yeah, it seems like he said that there was going to be some super advanced alien race that could create anything and that they were going to search the universe for ideas. Like they to, would to build, they would have the ability to do everything, but like they wouldn't actually ever achieve the ability to, to know and create, to, to have the creativity, like infinite creativity, I guess, in a way, which was like an interesting concept. And that would be the only reason they would be, coming here to to see us to see if there was some other thing created by um some this collection of minds that they and their billion you know factor like a mind could not create which right. was like an interesting thought so max gives us some uh, follow-up homework the kardashev scale more complex civilizations using more energy seems related to this you conversation. guys familiar with this at all no 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 i so, have not heard of the kardashev follow-up homework this is a rare, a rare error to stump both Nick and Steven. <laughs> this is you're in rare error, Max. Um, and then uh, calcium. I agree. Armand would love this conversation. So I like to think that Armand's going to be listening to this, going, "Oh yeah, he's cringing and just like <laughs> screaming, screaming, Put me in, coach. yeah, 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 screaming at the radio in his car. Yeah, as he sits at the border." <laughs> on a six-hour trip back from the border. Um, all right. Well, I think that's a good place to to wrap it. So if you've stumbled across this YouTube video, subscribe to the YouTube channel, get in the Discord. If you've been shared this podcast, which I know that's how we how we grow, um, hop over to YouTube, subscribe there so you can join in on more of these live sessions. Uh, I think we prefer it live. We like that you guys are in the chat and it and, it, and it's a lot more fun. Feels like we're hanging out. Yeah, it's super fun to like talk to people yeah. in real time. Yeah, I mean, our ETH Denver like experience with people in real life was certainly, I think, the highlight of just doing this podcast in general. And uh, having you guys in the chat is is uh, is as close as a second to it as it gets. So um, yeah, subscribe, hop in the Discord if you want to have more discussions. Otherwise, we will see you next week, and we'll see you in the Discord in the meantime. Absolutely. Mm. Well said, Nick. All, All right. right, fam. Bye, everybody. Bye. Adios. See you later.